Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 22nd, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 24. In today's text, St. Paul draws his letter to the Corinthians to a close, reminding them of previous instruction, commending his fellow workers, giving greetings from other Christians, and praying that the Lord would come. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor John Busman. Pastor Busman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks so much. A blessed Advent to everyone. It's good to be back. Pastor Busman, as we get started today, we've got the very end of this epistle. Before we talk about the the epistle and what we have here in this particular section, just talk to us about the end of epistles, uh, which are territory in the Scripture that sometimes we just skip over or breeze through without paying them much attention. Why is it important for us to pay attention to these sections? These sections for us are much like genealogies, I think, in the fact that that most people do get to them and skip over. Oftentimes they they have unfamiliar names, and it seems just like greetings. And a greeting is much different than we think than a verse like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, there's no real memory value there, we, we don't think. So you get to the end, the content's over, and we, we, we skip we skip it, but especially with Paul's letters in the New Testament, there are uh, great connections in some cases, especially, say, in, in Romans, uh, Colossians, that we can make to kind of bridge the gap from the apostles into the, into the early church. So I would highly suggest that we don't skip over the end of letters in the same way we do not skip over genealogies uh, when we come to them. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the, one of the challenges with greetings is it does include names that we can't pronounce all the time, and, and people that we just may not know, not only personally, but we don't always know much more about them from other places in the Scriptures, and yet recognizing that these are you know fellow Christians with us from the Church that we are still united together with. Like, that's an important thing for us to, to keep in mind in sections like this. I think seeing the names as well also points us to the fact that like, these are real people in, in real history. This isn't a fairy tale, but Paul actually wrote to actual Christians. It, it helps us ground the whole epistle historically as well. It does, and, and we can also begin to see that these churches don't—already in the early church, they're not— just existing as, oh, the church in Corinth, oh, the church in Thessalonica, oh, the churches in Rome, that there, there's already some communication going on between, between these congregations and these, these territories like, like Galatia, and, and uh, it, it helps us to further unify the, the message and see kind of Paul as he goes on, 
on those missionary journeys, that there is a consistency in the preaching, a consistency in the message. Yeah, certainly these, some of these places are dealing with uh, maybe unique issues, but they can all be benefited from the message that Paul is, is bringing. Absolutely, absolutely. So with this particular close to the epistle, what do we need to know about what's come before in 1 Corinthians, some of the themes that Paul's dealt with that may come back up? Anything to help us with the close of this particular epistle, then? I, when, when we get right into the text, he will give some warnings there. Uh, so the context of 1 Corinthians will be helpful to see what he's, what he's warning against, and of course, as he does in the text, he's going to wrap everything up with, with the message of, of love. So we'll see those things. We'll see those things right away. That's right. Okay. So let's just go ahead and, and jump into this text and see firsthand how some of the themes that Paul has brought out in this epistle are wrapped up now in this section. So this is First Corinthians 16, beginning at verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's our text for today. That is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 to 24. So, Pastor Busman, in that first verse of our section, you have these five imperatives, well, going into 14 as well, these five imperatives that do serve as a fitting summary of a lot of the things that Paul has talked about in this epistle. Let's take them one by one. Start with be watchful. They're all warnings. Right? Be watchful. Against, against what? go all the way back to the beginning, and you see right away his appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. And this ultimately is the Corinthian problem, the division in the church, the division within the, the separate households of the faith, the division on, on the confession of their faith. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Be watchful for those divisions that, that false teachers can, uh, can cause, that our own arrogance and pride can cause with the, with the, the lawsuits that, that they were filing, with the sexual issues. You know, I think this gets into the, the act like men command, but be watchful. There are divisions, and a, a church that is fairly new, like the Corinthian church, I mean, where where are we in time here? 56 when Paul is, is, uh, is writing this. He's uh, currently in Ephesus, right? There's a, there's a riot going on. If you, if you read the book of Acts, 
So he sees, you know, Paul is, is living out in Ephesus what he knows has already been in Corinth and could potentially potentially come in Corinth. I mean, there, Paul has to warn them later. It's like, don't, you know, don't make me, don't make me come back. You don't want me to come back right now. You better get things together. So be watchful over, over these things. The devil is not just going to sit by and say, well, you know, Corinth has fallen to the gospel. I need to move on someplace else to start attacking them. He's, he's going to, uh, going to continue to attack them so that they'll, what, what the devil would have them to fall away from the faith. So watch out. We hear these same warnings from, from our Lord Jesus. We heard them at the end of the church year. We hear them already in, uh, in the season of Advent to stay awake, be watchful, uh, stir up our hearts, O Lord. Yeah. yeah, well, and with that watchfulness, as you pointed out, all of the, the divisions that he's addressed in this epistle and the dangers of false doctrine that could come in in one way or another or the danger of love that would be lacking among the members of the congregation, those are things to watch out for. But what you're saying there about the words of our Lord, how he uses this language, it seems like the be watchful then would also have the added sense of be watchful for the Lord's coming. We saw that in the opening verses of the epistle, that they're waiting for the revealing of the Lord. We've got the verse that we'll talk about later here in this section where Paul prays, our Lord come. So it seems that be watchful would would have that added sense to it as well, to watch for the Lord in his second coming. You know, there are themes that carry over from 1 Corinthians to, to Romans, uh, specifically with the with the body of Christ, but there are these sections. Again, we're hearing these already in Advent, uh, Romans 13, uh, about the coming of the Lord. So there's it's not just kind of, well, watch out for what's behind the door. Uh, you know, right. we they had the apostles all had this urgency that Jesus wasn't coming back tomorrow. He's coming back today, yeah. and we need we need to be ready for this. That's right. So, so be watchful, the first command, first warning. The second one is stand firm in the faith. How does that imagery language help? Stand firm. Again, our Lord Jesus, when he's talking about John the baptizer, says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind, you know, something going back to and fro. No, on this, on this gospel, on this faith, we are to be uh, planted firm, built on the on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being being the cornerstone we are built upon that uh, on on nothing else uh, you know many many listeners have have their favorite hymns but one of the favorites around here is you know on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand this is this is the truth be watchful stand firm in the faith firm mm, yeah and firm firm in the faith I think of again to go back to the opening parts of the epistle, as you were saying earlier about how he warned them to, to, and he implored them, appealed to them, to be united in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So stand firm in this faith, in, in what you have been given in Christ, not in some sort of man-made unity, but in the doctrine that Paul has preached there, which again, just thinking about the, the epistle as a whole, chapter 1, that doctrine was Christ crucified, chapter 15, Christ risen. And as he summarized at the beginning of chapter 15, that that is the gospel that he has preached. There is no other, just that one gospel, that Christ has died for our sins, he was raised, he was, or he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared to many. 
That's the faith in which they are to stand firm. They can stand on their wisdom all day long. But again, chapter 1, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernments of the discerning I will thwart. They can stand on their own reason and strength all day long, but ultimately those things are going to be going to be turned uh, uh, torn down. They can stand on their relationship with Rome and Caesar and their money and all of these other uh, things that they think will last, but ultimately, ultimately it doesn't last at all. The gospel, the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Now, as he continues then in verse 13, the next command, the next warning he gives is act like men. How should we understand that? Act like men. Well, <laughs> where do you want to go here? Act like men. We could, we could stick with the context of, of 1 Corinthians and see that, that the men were not so much acting like men. We see all sorts of sexual immorality, all sorts of issues with, with marriages, with uh, a lack of acting like men in, in, in worship as, as they're, they're gathering. I mean, Paul has to get on all of of these things. Uh, I think I think this is a this is a good warning for us even today. And uh, you know, we can we can get into this as much or as little as as you want. But we 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 have this confusion today over men and women and what men are responsible for as as. God has given them to do in their vocation simply as men, but these are not these are not new things. These issues were already going on in the early church. Any any study of Platonism, Gnosticism will show you that that all of these issues were already kind of brewing up in the church. But to leave it in the context of First Corinthians, we could go back to uh, chapter five chapter 6, chapter 7, you know, all of those marriage issues, sexual issues, and I think, you know, to, to at least begin there would, would be helpful because Paul has already kind of brought those things up. He's not, again, and in the end of letters, we, we teach this, this same thing in writing today, that when you're concluding something, you never really introduce brand new ideas, brand new themes. You're really kind of bringing everything back together, and uh, Paul Paul does this does this brilliantly. So an immediate interpretation of these things that are coming up in the end, we do need to, to simply look at the letter and look at what he's, he's already brought up. Yeah, I, I think that's really helpful to, to keep in mind what Paul has said about I mean, what it means to be a, a man or to be a woman in the context of this epistle, the matters of marriage that he's brought up. He's talked about it in chapter 11 as well as the role of men and women in the order of creation. He talked about it in chapter 14 and the role of, of men and women in the matter of an orderly worship service. Right? So those, those things come to mind when, when he says, act like men in a very specific way. More generally here, I think as well, Dr. Lockwood in his commentary on 1 Corinthians uh, points out that the verb that's used for act like men and then the next verb, be strong, in the Old Testament when it was translated into Greek, those two verbs will sometimes show up together, and they do so a couple places in the Psalms. So, for example, in the, the verses that he, he brings out are in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. 
And then again in Psalm 31, verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. When those verses are translated into Greek, they get these same two verbs that we have here in 1 Corinthians 16. So that, you know, again, the act like men probably should bring to our minds those things that he's brought up in the roles of men and women that he's talked about, but also can be taken more generally as well, because verse 13 is written to both men and women in the congregation. So be strong, take courage, put together those two two imperatives and, and something like that. Again, this idea of being watchful, standing firm in the faith, those go together with that. I think that's a, I think that's a really good point that especially when you bring up the Psalms about waiting here. Yeah. I wonder, and I, and I would need to look, how that handles the, the verses in Joshua. Uh, he mentioned those two, and I don't have the book in front of me right now, but he did bring up that be strong and courageous. I can't remember if it's the same verbs that are used in Joshua chapter 1 as are in 1 Corinthians 16, but it's certainly the same idea, right, even that, if not the same Well, and you, and, you, and you think about waiting for the Lord, you think about where Joshua is in his life about to take on the, the conquest, and, and we don't, you know, we don't, you know, that was a, that was a one-time thing back in the days of Joshua. It's not a continuing command to continue to do this. However, as we see Jesus take upon the conquest and eliminating the evils from the land, what is he after it's sin, death, and the devil? And what is Paul encouraging the people, commanding the people to be watchful from? It, it's those very things. So I, I, think that's a, I think that's a really good, good connection there. Yeah, and again, I think it helps us keep both the context, as you said, that he's not introducing new things uh, of the epistle as a whole, and also helps us to see how it's written to the congregation as a whole. Now, if, if that act like men brings up certain images to mind of that, well, he, he tells you how that applies then. So verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So this isn't some sort of like, again, with that act like men, it's not a manly man who does whatever he wants, but one who who uses his strength, who uses the strength that he has in the Lord for the sake of others. And again, we have love coming back up in verse 14. That's a key theme in this epistle as well. Yeah, love. Love is absolutely key. And when you talk about acting like men, that's ultimately what it what it boils down to. I know Paul, you know, Ephesians gets a lot of flack these days, but ultimately when we're talking about being men, it is, it is love. Yep. And it's not a, hey man, I love you. Let's, let's go, you know, let's go have a beer and watch football. This, this love here is very specifically sacrificial. And I know with a lot of evangelical preaching, this word agape gets taken all sorts of places that it really doesn't belong. Mm. But that's the that's the source of it. It's it's sacrificial. It's bleeding, dying. Not I'll be your best friend if you do this for me. It's it's the love that Christ shows for us on the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. This is a huge thing. Are we, are we willing to love 
to the point of death? Are we willing to love to the point that Christ loved his church? This is the source of 1 Corinthians 13. You know, I know that gets read at a lot of at a lot of weddings and it gets kind of it gets boiled down into this in this feeling, oh, you're, you know, you may not love your wife like you love her on your wedding day, uh, you know, all this all this stuff, but it's like are we when we consider it, are we truly willing to bleed and die for the sake of our neighbor? And that's what that's what's that's the love that never ends. Yeah, that's no. Keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Interrupt. Oh no, no. I was just for for all the you know the act like men, like you said, can get taken into all these you know almost like commander. You know, man's the man, so he's going to order people around, and love gets taken completely the other way. That it's just this kind of sappy thing. But the two are joined so tightly knit together in the scriptures that ultimately, what it what it comes down to is. Is uh, is love? I mean, the, if if the listeners have never, especially the men, uh, have never read the book the CPH puts out, man up! I mean, this is at the heart of it all. You know, we can we can talk about being leaders, we can talk about uh, our role in worship all day long, but if if we are unable and unwilling to love sacrificially, we're missing we're missing the point of what it means to be a man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and again, to to see how in this, just in these two verses, these five imperatives, you have the concern both for the doctrine, the teaching in which you must stand firm, and also then the love in which that doctrine is lived out, both for the sake of the congregation and for the sake of the world, those two things go hand in hand. There is this intensity in which Paul says, you've got to stand firm in this, be strong here as you wait for the Lord. But in that strength, then, exercise it in love. And that's been something that we've seen play out in a number of ways in this epistle. On the one hand, he'll, he'll tell them, look, you guys think you know everything? Your knowledge is only puffing you up. Love is what will build you up. But at the same time, throughout the epistle, he's like, you need to know this, too. You need to know what the gospel is. You need to stand firm in the gospel. And so even just in the context of these two verses, you see both of those things, knowledge and love, doctrine and life, go hand in hand in this Christian faith. Right. We, going back to a previous command, right? Stand firm in the faith. If you go back to that love chapter, 13, it's love that never ends. Prophecies pass away, tongues they will cease, knowledge it will pass away. All of these things that the early church wanted to build themselves on, whatever, whatever gift of the Spirit they had, all of those things, Paul says, are passing away. And they're passing away very soon, you know? Yeah. But uh, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, see, I gave up childish ways. So they're already, they're already knit tightly together in the epistle. And Paul just brings it right back around. I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Same, same love. Yeah, that's right. So these these five imperatives help to summarize, to wrap up, to give these final warnings and instructions for the sake of the church in Corinth. Now, as he moves then into verse 15, 
we get some more, again, familiar territory when it comes to these sections. He, he talks to the brothers about the household of Stephanus. Uh, before we look at what he says, just remind us a little bit about the household of Stephanus and, and what is said here about him. Uh, Stephanus was introduced to us back in chapter 1 when Paul is speaking about the divisions that already exist in Corinth. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he goes on, and this what gets put in your, in your scriptures is kind of this parenthetical uh, statement is in verse 16 of chapter 1. He said, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So this is, this is somebody who has already been, uh, been introduced to us, and he, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Um, so he's introduced to us already there in, in chapter 1. Right, so he's a, he's a key person within the, the church in Corinth that Paul brings up now, so what's the—and again, Stephanus and his household were the first converts in Achaia. They've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. What, what's he bringing out here as he, he talks about Stephanus at the end of the epistle now? Uh, one, other, one other thing about sure. this Achaia, I don't, I don't know if, if you've been into it previously, but if you—I think it's helpful— i Achaia personally. It's helpful sometimes <laughs> to have—you know, if you, if you don't have a Bible with, with maps— uh, you know, I use a I use a small Bible when I'm when I'm teaching. But if you don't have a Bible with maps, it's sometimes helpful to to at least have access. You know, and with, with the world at our fingertips now with our phones, if you look up a you know Roman provinces at the time of the New Testament, you can see where Achaia is, and you know Corinth is is part of uh, of this. Athens is part of this. So I do think that sometimes that's helpful to know. You know, at least where we are, what we're talking about. So, but he is the uh, among the first uh, converts there in Achaia. Sure, uh, but sure. they well maybe uh, with yeah. with that with that geography reminder, Pastor Busman. Let's let's go ahead and take our break and come back to talk a little bit more about Stephanus there in Achaia and, and what's going on. Why Paul brings him up here at the end. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor John Busman this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 22nd. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 24 with Pastor John Busman. He serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cullman, Alabama. Pastor Busman, prior to the break, we were looking at Paul bringing up the household of Stephanus. You pointed out that they were brought up at the beginning of the epistle. We've got the geography in mind with Achaia. What does Paul say about the household of Stephanus? What's he talking to the Corinthians about here in this part of the epistle? So Stephanus seems to be the example of how to live out this faith, if we're going to use those kinds of words, unlike the ones who have been living in Corinth in division and all of these things, that he's actually devoted himself to the service of, of the church uh, as a whole, not kind of mixed up in, I follow Paul, I follow, you know, or the arrogance of, well, I just, I just read the red letters, I follow Christ, that, that he's actually devoted his, himself as a man in love to the church. All right, so Stephanus is, is an example. What are, I mean, how does, he, how does he bring that out? Just the, the language again, I'll read it again. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. What, is that, what does that mean, to be devoted to the service of the saints, with, within the context of this epistle? Well, it could be within the congregation. It could be, it could be within the um, settling of, of disputes, the stepping, standing up for, for what is for, for what is wrong, direction, leadership, um, pastoral leadership. So any, any number of those things. I, you know, when Paul brings all of this around, all of these divisions, he does bring it back into the context of, of love, in the context of worship, and the resurrection of the, of the dead. Um, so. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, a pretty broad category then, because as I was reading through it the first time, like and it almost sounds like Stephanus is, has some pastoral roles, but it, it's probably broader than just speaking about the pastoral ministry, it sounds like. It could be. It, it certainly could be. I mean, the next verse says, you know, be subject to these and every fellow worker and laborer. He does, he does kind of hold him up as not just, you know, uh, how do I want to say this? You know, not not just you know somebody quote unquote who shows up on Sunday, but you know maybe somebody who does have a leadership role. He does have a household. We know that the early church was split into these um, smaller house church settings in the mornings on Sunday. So he does have have one of these, and and maybe you know maybe his seems as one of the faithful within Corinth. Hmm. Yeah, all right, so the household of Stephanus says, and then he, he tells them, after he said they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints, he says, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. What's this call to be subject to the household of Stephanus and others like like them? It's the right ordering of things, and this is ultimately what's what's messed up in Corinth, whether it's, whether it's marriage, business, relationship, whatever the case is, it's how God has very specifically ordered these things, they've turned things upside down. Uh, he addresses this also in Romans, uh, where the, you know, the, the creature is not worshiping the creator, but the creation. And when things are out of order, chaos ensues. That's what the devil seeks to do, is to put things in disorder. He deceives in order to achieve that. So if 
the people, the congregation, are subject to their faithful leaders, faithful pastors. Um, you know, it's not that you're going to have prosperity necessarily in this life, but but at least things are ordered. You don't have people speaking out of turn in in worship. These kinds of things that that uh, Paul has already addressed. Yeah, Stephanus then serves as a, a good example of someone who has been taking to heart the things that Paul wants the Corinthians to take to heart based on this epistle. So he commends him here. And it seems he also brings him up because Stephanus is one that has come to Paul. So in verse 17, Paul says that he has rejoiced at the coming of Stephanus along with Fortunatus and Achaicus. They've made up for your absence. Uh, fill in some of the, what does this teach us about kind of the context where, when Paul's writing this letter. Sure. So that's where sometimes these, the ending of these letters can be most helpful. We know where Paul is, and also, you know, in comparison with the book of Acts, we know where Paul is, when Paul is, by whose hand he's sending, you know, some of these letters. So we know that as Paul goes from, from place to place, sometimes people do accompany him, and Ultimately, what Paul does is he takes people along and then sends them elsewhere. It's all for the sake of the gospel. It's all for the sake of, uh, of encouragement, most specifically. I, I think of Paul's uh, first missionary journey. And here when he's writing uh, 1 Corinthians, he's on his third missionary journey. This is when he does the bulk of, of, of his writing. But his first missionary journey, when when he's pursued and ultimately stoned in Galatia and he's left for dead and rather than making the loop that he makes on every other missionary journey with the exception of, of Rome rather than making the loop he says oh, I'm not going to complete the loop I'm going to go backwards and he goes back to the very places that sent people to to stone him and he does it not to say oh yeah this gospel is going to lead to a healthy, happy, prosperous life. It's like, look what they did to me. But I'm going to continue to proclaim the gospel. Uh, why? Well, it's for the sake of love. So he takes some of these people with him, showing them some of the other things that, that other churches are, are going through. And and, and ultimately, it is, it is an encouragement. You know, you think of, you know, you have, you have pastors out there who are, who are listeners? How many times do you go to a symposium or a pastor's conference, and you know you think you're at the end of your rope at your place, and you hear, you know, maybe you think that everybody else's congregation is perfect, and you start hearing some of the same things are going on other places that are going on for you, and it doesn't put you in a deep dark depression. It actually encourages you, and gives you hope, and and you have parishioners who are out there listening who you know might go to a LWML retreat or or here or there, and they're talking, and in not such a way that's gossip in the church, but they're hearing some of these things that are going on elsewhere. And maybe, hey, maybe our congregation just went through that, and here's what we did. Or, you know, you can lift up each other's hands in these things. So it's an encouragement and a building up of the church rather than a tearing down of the church. And that's ultimately what Paul's after. So he doesn't leave these places to their own individual you know, whatever you want to do, whatever works in your context. No, he's building up the church as one, whether it's Corinth, whether it's Rome, whether, you know, wherever it may be. 
Yeah, and the, and the great desire that Paul has to be with the Christians in Corinth that has been made up there, at least in part by these three, he's expressed the desire to be with them for quite some time in the in the future. He wants to spend perhaps the whole winter with them if he can. He doesn't know if that'll be possible, but at least being with these three men from the congregation has has helped to to again show him that connectedness, to give him that encouragement that he is to receive from the Corinthians, that desire that Christians have to be together, that what a, what a joy it is when a pastor is able to be with his people, and likewise when the people are with their pastor and with each other as Christians. This is a great encouragement, a great joy that we should not take for granted, and should instead receive that encouragement that is still there for us today. Now, practically speaking, when it comes to these three men, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, it seems that they're going to be the ones that are going to take this letter back to the Corinthians based on on these verses. Is that is that how you read it, too? It seems to be this way. Paul, Paul will generally give a special uh, you know, mention specific names for the ones who will be you know, taking the letter. When so-and-so gets there, you know, don't yeah. don't treat them badly. They're they're going to be the one bringing the letter. They're going to be the one reading the letter. We'll get more to that in, <laughs> in just in just a minute. But but yeah, the the familiarity is there. And again, you know, Paul is you know the the, the very next verse, right? They refreshed my spirit. It's all about this encouragement. And it's not you know you're not finishing these letters like, hey man, I know you got problems, but at least you're not like those foolish Galatians, right? It's it's all. It's all for the encouragement. It's all for the building up of the church to work through those issues in love, not not tolerance or anything like this, in love, in sacrificial love for the forgiveness of sins, for the unity of the church, and for the encouragement then of others. Yeah. So again, these are these are important verses for us to consider and take to heart still today for our own encouragement within the church of God. Now, as he continues then into verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. So we've got sort of a general greeting from the churches of Asia. Then some specific people are mentioned, Aquila and Prisca, the church in their house. More Christians, talk to us about the greetings that are coming from Asia, and particularly from Aquila and Prisca. Yeah, so Aquila and Prisca, those names may sound familiar. You may have heard Prisca before as uh, Priscilla, that already way back in in AD 50 AD 50 once Caesar Claudius took over he gave a command that all of the Jews uh, had to leave Rome so that's why Priscilla and Aquila were in Corinth in the first place and that's kind of how Paul uh, comes to know them on his on his first, on his first visit there. So they're out of Rome to Corinth, and then you know, Paul takes them about, and they wind up, uh, you know, wind up back then in Rome. You know, so whereas a lot of these letters, a lot of these visits that Paul goes on his, on his journeys, he's actually planting the church as he goes. Rome was the exception. You know, the gospel beat Paul uh, to, to Rome thanks to some of these you know, persecutions that were that were already going on. So those are at least some some familiar names, some names that we have other scriptures that that mention uh, that mention them by, by name elsewhere. Paul yeah, lives that, with them. 
And and so this also places the epistle being written in Ephesus once again, because that's where Priscilla and, and it's just easier for me to say Priscilla, Priscilla right. and Aquila are. <laughs> um, so what about I mean the churches of Asia? Again, this is when we hear Asia in the scriptures. This is Asia Minor, what we would call you know the matter of geography, modern day Turkey, right? Right, Turkey. So the uh, you know Thessalonica. No, sorry, I'm I'm too far west. You're talking about. Uh, Cappadocia, Galatia is a little bit east of Asia Minor, um, but Paul again, you said, is in Ephesus. This is part of Asia, uh, one of the Antiochs, Troas, um, the Colossians I- exist in this territory. So again, the church is larger than than just Corinth, and there are other letters, other people Paul has visited. Uh, previously that that are hearing of the Corinthians and sending sending greetings as well. All right, so the greetings are coming from the churches in Asia, particularly Aquila and Prisca, the church that meets in their house. They all send hearty greetings. All the brothers there are sending greetings to the Corinthians. They are united with this church that is in Ephesus. And then in verse 20, the second half says, greet one another with a holy kiss. What's what's the holy kiss? The whole, yeah, a holy kiss. Interesting. If you if you look in the in the Earlier church and in early liturgies of the church, this was this was retained as a part of the of the liturgy in the church. Now, now people typically just uh, after the prayers will give each other a handshake and figure out what their lunch plans are. But the, this was a this was this was all about reconciliation and and love. It's not it's not this kind of sexual lustful thing. You know, you think oh gross. You know what would they have done during COVID with the holy kiss? But it's it's uh, it's about reconciliation and love within within the within the congregation. What has Paul been about? Uh, you know, over and over and over, we've said divisions in Corinth, but all about uh, the body being built up in love. Why? Because there is such a thing as the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and and the church, the one true church, will exist in the end. Uh, raised up with Christ. So reconciliation and, and love, uh, probably a simple way to to leave that. Sure. You you mentioned the, the sharing of the peace that sometimes happens within the context of the worship service in connection with this holy kiss. There are some scholars who, who see within this particular section, especially verses 20 and following, perhaps evidence that Paul is writing this with a liturgical context in mind. Now, since you, you brought up the sharing of the peace, which, as you rightly noted, sometimes might not be used properly, what is the, the proper purpose of that beyond shaking hands and figuring out lunch plans? And I don't necessarily think that it's out of bounds to say that Paul is speaking liturgically here because he has spoken of worship yep. already. And, but again, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily grab and, and give each other some sort of, you know, European kiss or anything, but we do, if, if the intent of the sharing of the peace is to be kept, it is intended as a time of reconciliation amongst the brethren. There's a reason it happens when it does, uh, just right there with the uh, with the historic dismissal of catechumens, and if there if there is an issue between the brethren, 
let him leave his gift at the altar and go and be reconciled and then, and then return. So it's before the sacrament of the altar. Um, we, we need to, to be forgiven amongst one another, amongst the church, to have unity. This is what we are proclaiming, after all. Paul gets into this in, in chapter 11. We are proclaiming unity in the body as we come together in the sacrament of the altar. And we cannot have unity in the body if there is doctrinal division, if there is sinful division uh, amongst the brethren. We wind up, what does he say? When you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. It doesn't, it doesn't do us any good. I mean, we may think, we may think that it does good to say, well, I'll just go to the 8 o'clock service instead of the 1030 service. No, we, we actually do need reconciliation. And um, the places that have liturgically kept the sharing of the peace, uh, maybe a, a return to that reconciliation would, would, be, would, be, uh, would be beneficial. So the greet each other with the Holy Kiss, be living in love toward your fellow Christian. Again, a theme that Paul has emphasized throughout this epistle. In verse 21, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. What is, why that? What does that reveal about the epistle writing process? It, it, it's interesting. It really is. It's, in, it's written in Romans that we find out that, uh, you know, what, what you would imagine, that Paul is not physically writing these letters himself, that he actually does have a scribe at the very end of Romans, in chapter 16, verse 22, we learn that in that case, Paul's scribe is, is named Tertius. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter to you. So it's like, wait a minute, I thought Paul wrote Romans, but Paul is simply dictating the words because it, the writing process was, was very expensive and you needed to be as, as uh, precise and small with your words as possible. You didn't need, you know, I, I often go to our classrooms here at our school and I see how some of our teachers are writing on the board and how I write on the board. I write with, <laughs> you know, big sprawled out letters and I wind up having to erase things because I don't have enough room. And theirs is all neat and, and in order and small. And I, how can you write so small with a Expo marker and, and neat like that? But, you know, they, they do it every day. But in the same way, Paul would have a scribe. But at the end, at the end of his epistles, he would, in order for authenticity, his autograph, look, I'm taking the pen from the scribe. These are my letters. You can see that I'm the one who's been dictating this to you. This is my signature. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So this is the signing of the letter at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and so he writes that then. And some have suggested, from what I understand, that Sosthenes, who's mentioned in the very first verse, it, he he's included there the, in the greetings that Sosthenes could be the scribe in this case. But Paul takes the pen in verse twenty-one, writes his own name, his signature, authentic authenticates the letter. In verse twenty-two, he speaks an anathema. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. There we have the love coming up again. Yeah, we would expect this. In you know Galatians or something like this, right. uh, you know he he has spoken down to the Corinthians at a time, but this accursed language is very Galatian of Paul. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. In other words, you can't you can't keep playing this game and think that you're okay. Um, you you are accursed. You are out. You are divided, separated from separated from Christ. And ultimately, um, 
you know, not on the side of the resurrection to glory. That's right. And then in verse, at the end of that same verse, sorry, our Lord come is the prayer, which is in the in the text is written in, in Aramaic, I believe, Maranatha is the word. Yeah, ma- uh, Maranatha, our Lord, our Lord, come again with the with the initial, be watchful, stand firm. Right, the, the, all of this language all ties into the coming of the Lord. Our Lord, come. He is coming, and He's coming potentially today. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so this is the the constant prayer for us as as Christians. This is you know we mentioned earlier, or I mentioned earlier, what Doctor Lockwood had brought out concerning the Psalms of the be strong and courageous. He, he also notes that in one of those same places, Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24, this is, I'll just read those verses. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Within those two verses, you see a number of the themes that Paul brings up here at the end of 1 Corinthians. You've got the love for the Lord. You've got the preservation of the faithful. You've got the the you know accursed, the anathema of those who are acting in pride. You've got the strong and the courageous. You've got the waiting for the Lord. So that that conclusion of Psalm thirty one, it seems, plays at least a bit of a role here in in First Corinthians sixteen. Yeah, it's almost as if Paul uh, knew the scriptures a little yeah, right. bit. Huh? I know. I love I love it when I see when those things are pointed out to me. I love seeing it, and then it reminds me that I just don't know the scriptures nearly as well as I I think I do, or as well as I should. Isn't isn't that the truth? That or 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 coming or hearing that, and going to your Bible and seeing a note and th- saying, "Man, yeah, you know, I I used I used to know this stuff. I used to be kind of smart, but what happened yeah. to me?" I know, I know. So <laughs> it's a you see, I I love pointing out connections and learning those for myself, just as a reminder. Right. To always keep reading the scriptures and keep it's the encouragement, them. isn't it? That we learn. I mean, it's what this program is all about. Iron sharpens iron, and and hopefully, you know, it, it happens every time I come on. I, I learn something from you, and hopefully, your listeners are learning something. And it, it's it's again, it's all for the encouragement, all for the building up of the church. That's right. That's right. And I I learn just as much myself. So it is a great joy and encouragement to study the scriptures together. Now, the the last verse, last two verses, excuse me, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, and then my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Again, words that, boy, we hear some of those so often the way perhaps our pastor will close his sermon or even in a benediction, that they're easy to, to just glance over without paying too much attention. Help us to see what's there in those last two verses. Thanks. Yeah, and there, I'm glad you brought up pastors as well. There's a reason that we begin sermons and end sermons the way we do. Our sermons are essentially little letters, little epistles to our congregations. Every time we stand, every time we stand in the pulpit, Paul begins this way, grace to you and peace from God our Father and in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and just rails against the Corinthians for all of their division and all of their sin, but he wants them to know he, from the very beginning, he still calls them saints. It's not like he's trying to preach them out of the kingdom in order that we can preach them back into the kingdom. He, he wants them to know who they still are as God's children, yet give them warnings and saying, but you can't you can't keep acting this way. So he does wrap this up, not with a question. Well, if you don't, you know, not with a challenge or anything like this. He still says, the grace of Christ be with you. The love, uh, my love be with you all. You know, these words are hard, but I still love you. 
and sacrificially. I would still die for you if it came down to it. Yeah, and then the, the, last, the last word that he gives is the word amen, which again is a word that perhaps we, we are prone to skip over, but there's a whole part of the catechism that's dedicated to that one word, so it seems fitting that we close with that today, Pastor Busman. Why the word amen? A whole part of the catechism, Jerome spends a long time talking about the importance of the word amen in the liturgy, that it is the congregation's amen, the congregation's yes, it shall be so. These words are true. Though written by uh, my hand, though spoken by my mouth, uh, are breathed out by the Spirit of God. Yeah, so amen. Yes, yes, it shall be so. This is the confidence with which Christians live and believe because the Lord has spoken. Pastor Busman, with about a minute left, help us to wrap things up on this this section. Final comments on this close of the epistle to to Corinth. All Scripture is God-breathed whether it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or it's in a genealogy, or it comes here at the end of an epistle, all is God-breathed, all is useful for uh, teaching, for reproof, for correction. I encourage all the listeners out there that as they read these epistles of Paul that they don't skip, that they learn, that they ask questions, especially from the end, but also that we heed the words of Paul, especially during this season of Advent. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. Pastor John Busman is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Coleman, Alabama. He has been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 24. Pastor Busman, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much, everybody. A blessed remainder of your Advent and a very Merry Christmas. Our Lord, come. This is the prayer of Paul. This is the prayer of Christians still today, not only in this Advent season, but also into the season of Christmas. And always, as we wait for the Lord to return, we pray for him to come living in faith, hope, and love. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron will be taking a break during the 12 days of Christmas, which are coming up here on KFUO from December 24th through January 6th. You will hear special Christmas music, special Christmas programming as we rejoice in the birth of the Savior. Sharper Iron will be back with regular programming starting Monday, January 8th. We'll be jumping into the second epistle that Paul writes to Corinth, 2 Corinthians on that date. Have a very Merry Christmas. Talk to you again next year.